we realized how important it was to have people to be able to communicate on the move. I didn't come up with that. It was people like Orlando Wilson, who was the superintendent of police in Chicago. And he came to us and said, you know, we're using all your two-way radios. They work very well, but they constrain uh, my police officers to stay in their cars. And my constituency, the people are on the streets. Isn't there some way you can get those people out of the cars and out the streets without losing communication? That was Marty Cooper speaking about the early days of two-way mobile communications. And on this episode, episode number 71 of Looking Forward, our focus is mobile phone communications. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. If you've been around over the past few decades, you're probably as amazed as I am about how much our phones have changed over the years, not only in their design, but in how and where they are used. In part one of this two-part series, we'll be discussing how our phones have evolved into complex mobile devices over the past 50 or so years. We'll also learn how the modern-day cell phone almost never came into being, how COVID-19 has affected our use of mobile phones, and much, much more. And who better to speak to us about all this than the person credited with inventing the first mobile cell phone, Martin Cooper. Now in his 90s, Martin Cooper is the chairman at Dyna LLC. He also serves on the boards of several other public and private companies. Marty is a pioneer in the wireless industry and was responsible for many of the business and technological concepts behind today's paging, mobile radio, and cellular businesses worldwide. Many of Marty's innovations were introduced during his 29 years working with Motorola. Marty's been involved in numerous business startups in his career. He's also been granted nine patents and won many prestigious awards, including being named one of Time Magazine's top 100 inventors in history. Marty Cooper is also the author of the acclaimed book, Cutting the Cord, How the Cell Phone Has Transformed Humanity. Marty earned both his bachelor's and master's degrees from the Illinois Institute of Technology, where he serves as a trustee. Hi, Marty. Welcome to Looking Forward. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Jeff. Well, it's a thrill to have you, Marty. You're such an inspiration. I wanted to start off by asking you to talk a little bit about how you got interested in engineering and inventing things. You're an inventor, you're an entrepreneur, engineer, a telecommunications pioneer. We'll get into probably the telecommunications part the most here today. But I wanted to know what sparked your interest in inventing things, in engineering, was this something that you were doing as a young kid or did it hit you later on? No, it, uh, from my very earliest days, Jeff, uh, I have wanted to know how everything worked. You know, I still have a, a vivid memory, believe it or not, after, after uh, 80 some years of seeing some some uh, older boys, I was, it couldn't have been more than four or five years old, and they were burning paper with a magnifying glass. You must have done that. When oh, you yes. Were. Oh, yes. 
And I was just enchanted by that. And I got a, I didn't have a magnifying glass. I broke a, a, a Coke bottle and tried to use the bottom as a, as a magnifying and, and failed. It <laughs> didn't bother me at all. I just, and I've been doing that all my life. I still do it now. I take things apart uh, because I want to understand how they work. Sometimes I even manage putting them back together again. <laughs> uh, so uh, when time came for me to uh, go to high school, as an example, uh, I ended up going to a technical high school. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a trade school. <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, I got to do a shop uh, every semester. And, and I made sure that I did those. And I can't tell you how important having hands-on experience is to an engineer. I don't know how anybody could possibly design anything without really understanding the materials, the processes, and how people do these things. It certainly was not in my genes because my folks were not uh, technical. And interestingly enough, my, uh, none of my children or grandchildren are uh, engineers. <laughs> that is interesting because I was going to ask you about the genetic aspect of it. Did you have siblings or do you have siblings, Marty? Yeah, I, uh, my brother passed away some years ago and he was an incredible musician and a financial guy, but he was not an engineer. He was also not an engineer. Nor, nor are his, his children. They're all into, uh, into music and the arts, but uh, we, uh, I think I have a, a cousin who... <laughs> engineer and who says that he was inspired by me but uh i guess i i haven't inspired my own family very much jeff <laughs> that's fascinating now here's a really tough thing that i wanted to ask you maybe easy for you to answer i don't know but you've accomplished so many things in your long life marty and i'm wondering is there any particular career achievement or maybe more than one that you're most proud of well, of course, uh, Jeff, you know that, I, that I'm that uh, i very pleased with how the cell phone uh, worked out. Uh, I didn't predict everything that would happen, but it was my idea to build a, the very first phone. But you don't do anything like that by yourself. That it took a team of wonderful uh, uh, engineers and uh, marketing people to do that job. And, and actually, thousands of people have created the industry. Uh, but I got to mention two things. Yeah. Uh, great pride because I did them all by myself. Uh, one is I did uh, come up with a statement that is now in books of quotations, would you believe? And that is the best way to think out of the box is to not create the box in the first place. <laughs> That's so profound. And I said that in a meeting once spontaneously uh, and somebody wrote it down and the next thing you know, I read about it in some book of quotations. But the second one just happened to be this week. Really? Google uh, put out a full-page Wall Street Journal description of their new cell phone. And their description of that cell phone, of the things that it does, is almost a direct plagiarism of my description of the future of the cell phone in my book. <laughs> so flattering to have, have an outfit like Google pick up my theme and, and pick it up by itself. So if that doesn't give you the message, the most important thing in my life, are, uh, in my life uh, Jeff, are ideas. Uh, I just love to think about things, and I recommend that to everybody. The ideas don't have to be 100% original. They only have to be original with you. 
Yes. Uh, it is so much fun to have a new way of looking at something. It's just so exciting to me. Yes. And I'm going to throw something in here. I have come up with many ideas in my life, but the challenge is always the execution. <laughs> As they say, ideas are a dime a dozen, but you're, you've been able to execute on some of these ideas. That's the thing. Well, you're very nice to say that, but I have to tell you that I'm a, a, a very good starter. I have started so many businesses, uh, but uh, I'm not a very good finisher. <laughs> I uh, get bored with things very quickly. Uh, that's a, not a very good uh, a, uh, attribute for an executive. Uh, Motorola tried for 30 years to turn me into an executive, and, and I ran businesses yeah, but my skill was always starting businesses and and uh, not running them. I find that to be uh, a boring endeavor. Thank goodness that everybody's not like that or nothing would ever get finished. That's right. So you've got the entrepreneurial spirit. That's more of an entrepreneur right there. Starting businesses, coming up with ideas. Exactly. Yeah, maybe in the genes, because uh, whether it's cultural or not, uh, my uh family, my mother's family, uh, and even distant relatives, they're, they're almost all entrepreneurs. Wow, that's interesting. Now, we're focusing today, of course, on telecommunications, and you're considered to be the pioneer in the wireless communications industry. You're the inventor and father of the first handheld cellular mobile phone, and you're also cited as being the first person in history to make a handheld held cellular phone call in public. So what was it about phones and telecommunications, Marty, that made you decide to put so much of your career energy into that field? You could have pursued a lot of different things. Why telecommunications? Why phones? Well, uh, first of all, my life has been serendipitous. I'm, you're looking at a very lucky guy. <laughs> okay. I would like to say that I had it all planned out. I'd be lying. Okay. I was lucky enough to get hooked up with Motorola. They actually sought me out when I was in a job, was an okay job, but it didn't really have me very passionate working for a company called Teletype, which doesn't exist anymore, by the way. Mm. And that was the luckiest thing that ever happened to me because I started out doing research and it was in communications. Uh, and then I got into uh, what's called Landmobile, two-way radio. So it's the kind of radios that the police business people use. Uh, and it's uh, got a very boring name, two-way radio. Yeah. Uh, never could explain to my mother what, what I did for a living. You know, she wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor. I thought, well, I've been an engineer in two-way radio. Oh, really? But uh, what we discovered in the two-way radio business is that communications, the ability of people to collaborate, the ability of people to manage moving resources was extremely important in improving the efficiency of everything. And efficiency is, is, you know, that's what we engineers do. It's the heart of everything. If we could get more efficient, we, we would solve the property problem uh, and uh, the healthcare and all of the other. We are just horribly inefficient in everything you do. So that was the first discovery that there were businesses that could not run without two-way radios. And then when it, uh, Dick Tracy uh, inspired us to do the uh, handheld something, 
we realized how important it was to have people to be able to communicate on the move. I didn't come up with that. It was people like Orlando Wilson, who was the superintendent of police in Chicago. And he came to us and said, you know, we're using all your two-way radios. They work very well, but they constrain uh, my police officers to stay in their cars. And my constituency, the people are on the streets. Isn't there some way you can get those people out of the cars and out the streets without losing communication? So we came up with handheld police radios and son of a gun, we discovered that there was a whole new world out there. So important to these people, it just changed their lives. Uh, and, and we observed that when we would uh, give people a two-way radio, they could hold in their hands. Airport people, you used to walk through the airport on the way to our flights, and we had given them uh, holsters to put the phones in. Okay. Nobody abused the holsters. Everybody was walking around with a phone in their hands. What's that give you? Do you get the message? Yeah. <laughs> so that really was the, uh, the genesis of the whole battle we had with uh, AT&T, which I detail uh, in, in my book, that AT&T had come up with this idea of cellular, which is a way of getting more capacity out of the radio channels that we have. And their way of applying that was for car telephones. Right. And that didn't make any sense at all. We had just demonstrated that people want to communicate wherever they are, anytime. You only spend a little bit of your time in your car not much time in your office or home, or you shouldn't. So uh, that was really the genesis of why we took uh, AT&T. Uh, little company, Motorola in Chicago, took on the biggest company in the world to keep them from making cellular just car phones. So Motorola really had a lot to do with your interest in the phone. And at that point, they were a small company. Well, when you say small, it was a billion dollars. There was several divisions that included two-way radios, uh, semiconductors. They made all the auto radios, you know, the uh, AM radios. Uh, but uh, compared to the Bell System, which was the biggest company in the world in every respect, uh, they were uh, an ant compared to an elephant. Uh, but the lucky part about Motorola is not only the fact uh, that they... Uh, were a, a good company and they tolerated me for 29 years. <laughs> but uh, the founders of Motorola came up with some really great principles. Paul Galvin was the founder. Uh, his son, uh, Bob Galvin, was the chairman when I uh, worked at Motorola. Paul Galvin was the ultimate entrepreneur. He had actually failed in two or three businesses before he came up with the car radio, which was the foundation of Motorola's first business. And there was a plaque in the headquarters uh, with Paul Galvin's picture. Uh, and his statement was, do not fear failure, reach out. And I took that seriously. And the company supported me through, certainly through the successes, but through a number of failures. I've had a lot of lucky things in my life. Having the parents I had was my first and going to the right university, I went to the Illinois Institute of Technology, which is a great school, and I serve on their board of trustees now. Uh, but going to Motorola was one of the luckiest things in my life. Wow. That sign, how powerful. We hear so much more today than we heard, I'm sure, back in that day about the importance of being okay with failure. 
Failure was often a dirty word. Fail was a dirty four-letter word. But in recent years, what Paul had said back then has become more recognized. But for him to say it back then was really ahead of the game in many respects. You know, you only learn by doing things. When you have a failure, you learn about a lot of things about how not to do things. Yes. One of the things about looking forward is we first like to take a look backwards to see how things have changed, how they have evolved. And you started to talk about that with Motorola and the phones that were used to communicate, for example, by the police, and they were limited to only being able to do it in their offices, let's say, or wherever they were, they couldn't move around with it. And then you guys at Motorola figured out another way to do that. So if you could speak about this evolution up until COVID, we'll talk about COVID separately. How have things evolved over the years? What were the big changes that you witnessed and that you were a part of? Yeah, well, I, I hate to talk about how old I am. <laughs> you can. When I was a kid, uh, we still had party lines. Yes. In the city. You'd pick up the phone and somebody else would be talking because people shared a line. Uh, and yes, most people or many people had phones, even relatively poor people, uh, which would have characterized what we were. Uh, but you had one phone in the house. And that was typical even for wealthy people. You had, you had a single phone. Making the stretch from a phone, which was a way to call a location. Isn't that right? Would you? Yes. Wherever the wire went, that's where you called. And so the wired phone was calling a place. And what we realized the importance of was people don't want to talk to places. They want to talk to other people. And, and the whole difference between cellular and the old wired phone is just that. And, of course, a demonstration of that is that the number of, of wired phones uh, in the United States, as an example, has been going down, down, down. It's now the order of, of 50,000 wired phones in the United States today. There are more cell phones than there are people in the U.S., but in the world. So I think uh, the basis of our passion for uh, personal cellular phones uh, was, in fact, uh, the mobility. It was the fact that uh, you were calling a person, not a place. So, Marty, I don't know when this first happened, meaning when you actually came up with that cellular phone that people could use without being in a car. But if you could think about that time and think about what happened after that, whether you were directly involved with it or indirectly, I know Steve Jobs gets a lot of credit with Apple and the iPhone. So back in the day when you were first involved at Motorola, how have things changed? And if you would start by just telling us what year or years was it that you were first doing this? Sure. Well, the, uh, my uh, career at Motorola started in 1954, but everything that I worked on over the years, in retrospect, it's almost like a, I was destined to do this thing because I started with very simple things, but always having to do with communications. So uh, it was very natural and when in 1972, we got into a, Motorola got into a battle with the Bell system about what the nature of a, what a cellular phone would be. They thought it was going to be a car phone. We wanted it to be a handheld phone. So it was very natural for me uh, to come up with this idea 
uh, and to get a team together and actually uh, build the phone. But I have to tell you, Jeff, those were very primitive times. And I, you don't think that just because I lived then, uh, and I was no youngster, I was uh, uh, 40 years old at that uh, at the time, that uh, there was no uh, internet, there were no personal computers, the digital camera had not been invented, and the integrated circuit was just a, a gleam in somebody's uh, eyes. So they talk about primitive times. The only thing we knew is that people wanted to talk to other people and communicate all the time. And the story we told was that someday when you were born, you'd be assigned a phone number. And if you didn't answer the phone, you had died. So <laughs> we knew this was going to be pervasive. In contrast with the Bell system, uh, who not only did not appreciate what the market was, they hired uh, McKinsey, one of the most distinguished consulting firms, to ask them what the ultimate market is for this great invention called cellular. And McKinsey spent a great deal of money and time and concluded that there ultimately in the whole world, there might be a million cell phones. <laughs> and it turns out they were right. <laughs> ultimately, the maximum number of car phones that ever existed was about a million. Okay. But one little feature they just didn't think about, they meaning the Bell system or McKinsey, was the difference between a, a wired phone, the chain that kept you in your office or in your car, uh, and a, a universal phone that let you talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere. Yes. Then as you go beyond that, was the next big change really brought about because of the internet? Is that what really changed things? Exactly right. People, the first thing people did was they wanted to make the phone more useful. Uh, BlackBerry came along and yeah. put a keyboard on the phone, uh, and that was very useful. There are still people that use similar phones to, to that that have uh, keyboards on them, uh, and BlackBerry was very successful for a long time. Uh, and then somebody came along and, and decided they were going to make the phone smarter and put a screen on it that would let you touch things. Uh, well, they were not very successful. And it was uh, at Apple. Uh, and then Steve Jobs came along. And Steve Jobs' contribution uh, was to make the phone fun to use, make it easier to use. He was not a technologist. Uh, he spent more time with the graphics on the phone than he did in the technology. But he did it in a way that made it practical and fun. And, and if you think about it, almost all of our inventions start out being fun and ultimately become very useful. And that's exactly what happened with the cell phone, the very first cell phones that we sold. Uh, some of them were sold to people like Michael Douglas, who was rich. And yes. Was it, but the people that benefited were people like real estate agents. Real estate agents made money only when they could either show a home or answer the phone when somebody called. And we gave them the ability to do both at the same time. Yes. Rich people were not our best first customers. They were real estate agents. And then uh, the people that, that were most resistant were doctors. And boy, did they adopt the phone quickly because they gave them a whole new freedom. You know, they could be sensitive to their, to their uh, constituency, to their sick people, to be around and still go out and play a game of golf and know that they could be reached and, and get back to the hospital in a matter of minutes. Boy, that's for sure. I'm wondering... Could you have imagined 
Back in the 70s, when you were working with Motorola, Marty, you came up with this great advancement in wireless communications that helped realtors, doctors, and so many others, that the phone would evolve into what it's become with all these apps on it and all these different capabilities that it has. Was that ever something that you would have imagined yourself or were you shocked at how it evolved? Well, I wouldn't call it shock because I love technology and I accept the fact that, that there are new ideas uh, all the time. But I would suggest that when I compare the primitive old days with where we are today, uh, I do find it astounding. However, when you mention a thing like apps, uh, I'm not crazy about that. I think that uh, uh, apps, the whole concept of apps have got to be figured out some different way because the, the concept that a person could have a need and then sort out two million apps and find the right one that's going to fulfill their need is ludicrous to me. Yeah. There has to be some way to have an artificial intelligence actually look at your behavior uh, and either find an app for you or create that app. So uh, yeah, apps are uh, another example of primitive technology is going to disappear after a while. <laughs> okay. We're going to have you talk about uh, your predictions for the future soon enough here. How about the changes that we've seen in the way that cell phones are used in the design of cell phones from when you started? What are some of those changes, Marty? You know, the cell phone's still in early days, Jeff. It's only been 20 years or so since almost everybody uh, has had a uh, cell phone, and we're still learning. And the biggest manifestation of that is the way the cell phones used in other countries. And we think that we're the leaders, we in the developed countries, countries like Africa, Mexico, the emerging countries, uh, they didn't have the head start we had with wired phones. So they have jump-started. And they are using their phones in much more basic ways than we are. They are using them for the very elemental things, transacting financial things. In Africa, they don't. Uh, poor people don't have banks. They don't have ways of, of uh, saving money or you know, transmitting money. And they have created systems based upon the cell phone. So they have a whole economy that's cell phone based, and that has moved uh, a billion people out of poverty. To that alone, the same thing is happening uh, in places like Mexico, uh, where. Uh, there are villages that have never had a doctor, nor there, will they ever, and they're now getting medical treatment by cell phone. They put a, an applique on the cell phone that lets them uh, magnify what's their eye, and a doctor can do an eye examination. They take another little simple device that costs a few dollars, and a doctor can do an ultrasonic of a pregnant woman in a village that never had a doctor. Yeah. One other question before we drift away from this topic, and that is, just out of curiosity, did you and Steve Jobs ever meet one another? I never met Steve Jobs. Never uh, met him? Never? Did you ever have any communication with him? Quite unusual, because uh, I knew everybody in the industry. But by the time uh, Steve Jobs did his thing, I was off doing uh, other kinds of things. Uh, I can't tell you how many people I know and you who were friendly with Steve Jobs and do it, but I never met him. You never met him. Okay. Marty, COVID-19, we know that it's had a dramatic impact on most of our lives, some people far worse than others. I'm wondering 
How do you think it's affected the development, the distribution, and the use of telecommunications devices, both here and abroad? What impact do you think COVID's having, Marty? Well, the most important thing it did, uh, in my view, Jess, is that we've always known that personal communications is important. Uh, and we spent tons of money uh, traveling and holding meetings. It turns out that all that travel is not necessary, we discover. With COVID, we get forced now into using things like Zoom, which we are, you and I are doing at this moment. But the reality is the most important thing in personal communications is building trust. It's very hard to do that remotely. We will never replace, well, I shouldn't have said that. It's going to be a long time before we replace you and me meeting personally, me looking right into your eyes. But once you have done that, you don't have to hold every meeting in person. You can get a lot of that doing what you and I are doing now. Uh, and there are uh, some meetings that I go to that I hope I never have to go to again. <laughs> you know, we hold a board of trustees meeting uh, at Illinois Tech. Uh, and I found out, uh, yes, we ought to hold a once a year meeting so the trustees can meet and, and shake hands and, and know each other personally. But the Zoom meeting of the board of trustees was much more efficient. I could see the faces of every trustee on the screen instead of just the ones who were sitting next to me. The, uh, the discipline was, was better. You could ask questions and everything was more efficient. So I'm back to this thing about if the world gets more efficient, everybody benefits. So from your perspective, COVID, at least in looking at it from the narrow window of telecommunications, has brought on some positive changes, more efficiency in communications. When you think of all the misery that COVID uh, brought to us, uh, it would be terrible if we didn't learn a lot of lessons, and I think we have. And one of them is to be more efficient in communications. And the, of course, the most important one is to be more efficient at stopping pandemics from happening. Yes. But yes, there have been some very positive effects that have come out of the uh, pandemic and I hope that one of them has been to get people to work together more. Uh, that one is a little more subtle, uh, but I think it's the biggest need in society today is to get us uh, more coalesced and more teamwork and more collaboration and less battling with each other. There's just too much of that, in, in my view, in the world today. And I say amen to that. Now, in your book, Cutting the Cord, you speak about how the cell phone has changed humanity. I'm wondering if you could just tease us a little bit by speaking about some of the key takeaways from that book. Well, the first thing I wanted to get across in the book is that uh, big ideas don't happen spontaneously. This whole idea about the Eureka moment, because at least in my case, uh, it took an entire my entire career to lead up the idea of knowing uh, not only how important personal communications was, but the technology existed then, that I could pull together technologies from throughout Motorola and outside uh, and build a phone at that moment. Uh, that all really was the culmination uh, of my career. Oh, it wasn't the end of my career because I started <laughs> careers after that. Right. So that was the first takeaway. That uh, there, there is no eureka moment. But the second takeaway was that the cell phone is being used uh, today in, uh, in uh, other countries in ways 
predict the future far more than what we are doing in the advanced countries. The cell phone is being used to make people more productive so that we don't have poor people anymore. The phone is used to make people healthier so that we don't have sick people anymore. The, the phone is used for people to collaborate and do everything more efficiently than they did before. And so I spent a lot of time in the book talking about how the phone is used elsewhere in the world in ways that we hardly even notice here, but that are predictive of what's going to happen in the future. And then the third thing is what I think the future phone is going to look like. And I do spend a couple of chapters talking about human 2.0 and how artificial intelligence is going to change our lives. Uh, and really that those things are an extension of what the cell phone uh, is today. This concludes part one of our two-part series on mobile phone communications with our guest expert, Marty Cooper. Please join us next time for part two of this series, where we'll speak with Marty about what the future of mobile phones might look like and what opportunities that may offer. We'll also ask Marty what are the secrets of his very long and active life and what else he'd like to accomplish in the time he has left. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F. Com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward. <laughs>